Now, obviously Christmas is over, but one of my favorite Christmas songs growing up was Frosty the Snowman. You've probably heard how he came to life. Uh, You see, he was made of snow, and the children know how he came to life one day. You know, there must have been some magic in that old silk hat they found. Some of you are singing this in your heads right now. For when they placed it on his head, he began to what? Dance around. Frosty the snowman was alive as he could be, and the children say he could laugh and play just the same as you and me. And I was thinking about that old silk hat and how when they placed it on his head, he came to life, right? He was alive. He danced around. He could laugh and play just the same as you and me. You know, it is so much fun to enjoy songs like that and to share in the magic of a fairy tale. I love the idea of something happening that made him alive. Now, in our kids and in our student ministries, We want to find ways to make the Bible come alive in the lives of our kids and our students. Now, that's actually a bit of a misleading statement because God's word is already alive. So it's not like we put an old silk hat on our Bibles and it becomes alive. It doesn't become something it wasn't. But we want to help people see God's word as it is. And it's alive. See, it's not just a book. It is the living, breathing word of God. And so I'm always going to invite you to get a copy of a Bible in front of you when I teach you. And if you bring your own, boy, that is outstanding. If not, download a Bible app because we all have those cell phones. Uh, Grab one from the back. uh, Follow along. And if you're a parent of a kid who is involved in the ministry here, we want them to bring them. And sometimes I've had parents say to me, well, they don't want to bring one because their friends don't bring one. Okay, first, that, that's very bad. That's a very bad like, way of looking at things. We need people who will change the culture, people who will say, you know what, I value this, and so I'm going to bring it because we use it, because we want to mark it up, because we want to see what's being taught, because later, we don't want to say, what was that one verse again? I don't know. We want to be able to look it up. And so all that to say this, this morning we are going to be in Exodus chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, you can find it. Now it is far too easy when we hear stories are when we hear, you know, stories like we're going to look at today, to allow ourselves to start thinking of them in a mythological form, to think that they're fairy tales like Frosty the Snowman. Sometimes we even read stories from the Bible different from when we read historical events. But in reality, they are historical events. These things happened. And so in Exodus 3, we learn about an encounter in the life of a man named Moses. Now, Moses was born as a Hebrew in Egypt at a time where the Hebrews were all slaves. As the population of the, of the Hebrews in Egypt increased, the Pharaoh, the leader, he got a little worried. Like, there's too many of them. They're going to rise up, and, and there's going to be a problem. So he came up with a plan. He said, we're going to kill all of the male children of Hebrew women. Now, Moses' mother wanted to save him, so she put him in a basket in the Nile River. And he was eventually found by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him and raised him. And so as he grew up, Moses starts to emphasize with the plight of his people. And after he sees an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew slave, Moses intervenes and he kills the Egyptian. So in another incident then, Moses is trying to intervene in a dispute between two Hebrews. And one of the Hebrews just sarcastically comments, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Moses is is mortified. People know what he did. So he takes off, and he goes to a place called Midian. And again, he gets to play the hero. 
this time to the daughters of a man named Jethro. He rescues them from some bandits, and in gratitude, Jethro gives them the hand of his daughter Zipporah, and uh, she and Moses have a son. Meanwhile, while this is happening, the Hebrews are crying out to God to rescue them from slavery. Now to Exodus chapter 3. Now instead of just reading it, I want us to just try to put ourselves in this situation, right? Try to think what it was like to be there. You're Moses. He's tending the flock of his father-in-law. He leads them to the far side of the desert. He stops at a place called Mount, Mount Horeb, all right, which is that. So he stops right there, and he sees this bush, and it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so Moses, like any of us, would say, what is going on? I'm, I need to check this out. And then he hears this voice, Moses, Moses. And he says, well, here, I'm, here I am. And the voice says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. I am the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so Moses gets a little scared, rightfully so, hides his face. The voice continues, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a prosperous land. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So if you're sitting there and you're listening to this, you're thinking, he's going to deliver them. He's got a plan. I'm really excited about this. And then verse 10, he says, so now go because I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, uh uh-oh. Moses says, well, but who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? And God's response was, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When, I, when, I, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. Now just imagine that. When God speaks and we're like, but, 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 his response, I will be with you, which is awesome. And then Moses is like, well, let's suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what's his name? What do I tell him then? I don't know if he thought he was stumping God or what, but God had an answer. I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And there is something about a name that just changes things. And when we learn God's name, we start to see who he is. We're able to understand the power of those words, I will be with you. It starts with the name. You know, when I worked at a, at a school with about 500 students, I wanted so desperately to learn people's names because I know there's so much value when we can call somebody by their name. Now, I haven't always done well at this. When I got here uh, last August, I remember seeing a student on a Sunday morning and saying to her, I'm like, good morning. Hey, how you doing? I'm Rob. And she looked at me. She goes, yeah, I've met you like three weeks in a row now. Uh, I was like, oops, you know, sorry. Which on a side note, sometimes I run into people from Eagle, uh, admire and places like that. Please tell me your name. Please, I really do want to know it. But there are some of you that I promise we've never met. And sometimes, hey, Rob. I'm like, hey, you, you know, because I want to know people's names, right? It establishes a relationship. You know, I know when I come home, from the time my kids could speak, I loved hearing them yell, Daddy, as I walked in. Um, on the flip side, I don't think I've ever appreciated my mom saying my name. 
because that almost always meant I was in trouble, especially when she busted out the Robert Michael, you know, and don't leave me up here. You guys know what that's like, right? When mom says your full name. But I want you to consider how your relationship with someone changes when you know their name. They no longer become that one guy or that one girl. They become Tom or Dave or Amy. It's so rare that you'll have a close relationship with somebody without knowing their name. You're not going to look back 20 years later and say, we've been best friends for 20 years, but I, I, I can't remember what their name is, right? Like, because that is intimacy. That's how we build relationship. But using the wrong name for someone can also be problematic. On February 6, 1967, heavyweight champion boxer Muhammad Ali fought a man named Ernie Terrell in a championship fight. Now, two years before this fight, Ali had converted to the nation of Islam. He changed his name from Muhammad, from, to Muhammad Ali from Cassius Clay. So leading up to the fight, Terrell referred to Ali as Clay. And that really upset Ali and made him really mad. Now, of course, he was more than okay irritating his opponent, so he kept calling him Clay, right? He wanted to antagonize him. Now, during the fight, Ali realized at a point that he had Terrell in a situation where he couldn't lose to him. So rather than knocking him out, he toyed with him over and over again in the ring, yelling, what's my name? What's my name? While hitting him over and over, didn't knock him out, kept it going for a 15-round unanimous decision. There is something powerful about a name. So back to Moses, God Almighty has just revealed his name. He says, I am who I am. Let's unpack that just a little. The name of God consists of four consonants together in English, Y. H-W-H. Now, the ancient Hebrew language of the Old Testament was written in, it didn't have vowels. In Hebrew, it would just be four letters. And so in your Bible, you might see that name translated. Uh, You would see it this way if you were reading Hebrew. Uh, But you might see it as Yahweh or Jehovah, but most likely it's Lord, capital L-O-R-D. In the Old Testament, whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, That is the divine name. That is what we say as Yahweh, or some people pronounce it Jehovah. In Hebrew, the letters are Yod, Heth, Vav, Heth. Four letters. Why don't we know how to say it? Because the Hebrews considered it so sacred, they didn't say it. They just didn't say it. They would replace it with Elohim, which is a word for God, or Adonai, which means Lord. And so eventually... So the people didn't know how to say it. They took these four consonants and they added the vowels from those two words, from Adonai and Elohim. And so that's why it's Yahweh or Yahoah, Jehovah. And so what does all this mean? It means God's name is a reflection of his being. It means God is the only self-existent or self-sufficient being. Only God has life in and of himself. I am who I am. See, I love when names have meaning. I know that a lot of people name their kids based on a name they like. That's how I got my name, Robert. My parents liked it. One of them did. The other one wanted to name me Corey. Uh, It worked out all right for me. If I was a girl, my name was going to be Gina. That's free. Just throw that out there. Uh, No, you may not call me that. But for Leslie and I, we wanted our kids' names to have meaning. And so our oldest is named Erica with a K, named after a high school girl who taught me what it really means to follow Jesus. Now, uh, that name also means like ruler, which my daughter would be okay with world domination. Uh, (laughs) But then uh, um, Megan, our middle daughter, means strong and able. After Erica was eight pounds, two ounces and a four-hour labor, Megan was 10 pounds, eight ounces and a 15-hour labor. Yeah, you can feel bad for her a little bit. It didn't hurt me at all. I was fine. But um, 
But we felt like, wow, this is one strong kid and uh, strong and able. And Rebecca means tied or bound. And her middle name is Grace because having a third kid was God's grace. And we believe her life will reflect that. You see, we can give names that have meaning, but God's name describes how awesome he is. I am who I am. And so in light of this, let's look at Moses' encounter. Let's grab a hold of a few things and let's, uh, let's move forward. This week, we're going to end another year. We're going to start a new year. And so here we have this encounter that starts Moses' journey with God, right? All the things you hear about Moses, yeah, it starts here. And putting that together, I have three things that happen when we encounter God. And the first one I wrote down is to expect the unexpected. Encountering God always starts with expecting the unexpected. Things like a bush that is on fire and not consumed, like a baby in a manger, like a young man thrown into a den of lions like Daniel, like a woman thrust into a significant position with the ability to stop a genocide like Esther, being blinded on a road to Damascus like Paul. Moses is hanging out with animals, right? He didn't expect anything. And then he notices this bush burning. If you have your Bible, Exodus 3, starting with verse 2, it says, There... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. People in the Bible talk a little weird sometimes, right? Think about, I will go over and I will see this strange sight, why it does not burn up, right? That's not how we talk anymore. But what Moses is really saying He's saying here is he's open to the possibility that something amazing is happening. You know, Eric would use the words holy crazy, right? Something that was unexpected. And when it comes to God, do you expect the unexpected? Do you find yourself saying and thinking things like, well, God wouldn't do that. God doesn't do things like that. that. That's not realistic. Because often I think God is just waiting on you and I to expect the unexpected. This summer... When a hard-hearted student asked me to talk during our mission project to Guatemala, I never expected it would end with an incredible prayer of surrender at almost two in the morning. But I just have learned to just go and see what happens, right? Because with God, anything can happen. And there are times in my life where I looked at things and thought, boy, if we went down this road, God would really have to do something, so I'm going to go and I'm going to play it safe, And I can think of a couple situations I've done that in buying houses and uh, just some real estate choices that led us down a road that we're still paying for and all that because we didn't want to expect the unexpected. But when I was 18 years old, my wife, Leslie, who uh, we were dating at the time, she asked me to teach a youth group at her church. We had just started dating. I'd been a follower of Jesus for less than two years and I had no idea what to expect. But I liked her, so I said yes. And what followed after teaching those six students about Romans 6.23 was 21 years of student ministry with a lot of ups and downs. You know, when we are open to the possibility of something incredible happening, look what happened. Look at verse 4. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. When the Lord saw that he had gone over, then God called to him. And so what if right now, God is about to give you freedom from the bondage you're in. What if right now God is about to lead you into a new season of life that is going to allow you to know him in ways you never even considered possible? What if God is giving you the opportunity to serve him and he just wants you to take that step forward towards the call? What if God is waiting on you to respond to something he has already said or done? 
Because God takes the first step. Always, always. How often does God take the first step? Everybody say always. Always, always. And our prayers should reflect a faith in a God who does the unexpected. He takes the first step, and then he often waits for us to respond. Expect the unexpected. The second thing I wrote down is to embrace his promises. Embrace his promises. Verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, This is God kind of communicating his resume. He's reminding Moses that he's the same God who made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the same God who did incredible things in and through the lives of these men. It's kind of like when I talk to parents, I might mention that I have three kids, so they understand that I have a little credibility when it comes to parenting. I especially will say this if I'm talking to a parent of girls. It's my way of saying, yes, I understand what it's like to drown in a sea of estrogen. I know what it's like to have people in my house crying and have no idea why. I know what it's like to be absolutely right about something, but be told I'm wrong because of some unwritten pact that girls must have that say that a man can never know that he's right even when he is. I understand. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And here God's saying to Moses, There's some power between the words I'm about to speak to you because this is who I am. Verse 6 continues, At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, he knew who he was. The Lord said, I have indeed indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned, right? God cares about our suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. And verse 9 says, Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way they're being oppressed, and so I'm sending you. He said, I've seen what's happening. I have come to rescue. Your cry, it's reached me. And verse 12, and oh, I underlined this for sure. He says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you bring them out of Egypt, you'll worship him at the mountain. And that's exactly what they did. And so when we encounter God, we need to expect the unexpected, but then embrace his promises. And to embrace his promises starts with two things. First one is to consider what has he done? Ask yourself, what has he done? I mean, sure, you could say, well, he's created everything and he died on a cross for our sins and those are great big things. But but what about in your life? What have you seen him do? You know, in the book of Joshua, the Israelites, they crossed the Jordan River miraculously by the awesome power of God. Parting water seems to be his thing. And, And so God tells him, take a stone and I want you to carry it with you to remember what God has done. So when people ask, You can show them and you can tell them. And so what are the memorial stones in your life? What are the things that you have seen God do? See, we can embrace his promises when we realize how often he's delivered on them. Let me say that again. We can embrace his promises when we realize how often he's delivered them. And so consider making a list of five memorial stones as a family or as an individual. What are five things that God has done for you that you will never forget where God has come through and he has delivered and he has been faithful in his promises. And so in those times when it's hard, you look back and you say, yeah, but this is who he is. This is what he's done, right? Embracing his promises starts with saying, what has he done? But then also by understanding what he has promised. Because we're good sometimes as a culture, especially with social media, of making up things that God has promised that he never actually did. Things like, I hear things such like, well, it's all part of God's plan. Maybe you've thought that or said that. 
But the reality is, uh, God has promised to work all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Things that God doesn't want to happen, happen all the time. This is why Jesus prayed. You remember this? When Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus pray something that was already happening, right? Right? So this is why one day we're going to be in a place, those of us who are believers, where everything is the way that God wants. But this is not that place. This world is messed up. God is in control, but he chooses to not control everything. And so we need to know, what has God actually promised? Well, he's promised his presence. He's promised a love that will never fail. You know, the promises of God would be a whole other sermon, but instead I want to challenge you something that I started doing as I prepared this. I'm starting a new study in my Bible where whenever I find a promise of God, I'm just going to mark it with a P. Because then in those times when I'm struggling, I can look back and I can see and remember what he has done. So expect the unexpected, embrace his promises, and finally, experience him intimately. Intimately, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You tell them I am has sent me to you. Tell them the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me because this is my name forever. And so as I've explained, that's an intimate act. God is revealing who he is and he's telling Moses, look, I want to personally interact with you. He's calling Moses to be a part of what he's doing. He's not giving him an assignment and saying, go do this. He's saying, let's go do this and I will be with you. When it comes to the Christian life, there are no shortcuts. The key to this life is knowing the one who gave his life for you. You ever seen John 17, 3? Jesus is speaking and he says, now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the key. This is it. This is everything. Forget everything I've said if you want to, but grab a hold of this. The key to life is knowing him personally, intimately. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. But do you know his? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he's doing in your life and where he wants to take you? Do you hear him continually inviting you to trade in your story that will end to be a part of his never-ending story? Because he is saying, I am who I am. And that's his way of saying, I am worth giving everything up for. And so when you hear him say, what's my name? The hope is you'll be able to look back and say, well, I know you. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me because we recognize his voice because we know him. And so as you finish 2015 and head into 2016, it is time to either maybe embrace the adventure with God that you find yourself on in a new way or maybe kick complacency to the curb and start a new one. Maybe you have to start with expecting the unexpected. Maybe you've got to grab a hold of his promises and say, what has God even promised anyway? Maybe it's about that journey and experiencing him more intimately, and that's my hope and prayer. And so one way we do this is by celebrating communion. That's the whole point of it, is to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because he knew that we would have a tendency to forget It's not like we don't remember they happened, but we forget how important they are. The reason we do a student ministry trip like Kalahari isn't because these kids need to know how to follow Jesus. It's because we want them to experience him and remember how awesome he is, to remember that he is worth everything. 
And getting them away, it accomplishes that. That's why we fight so hard for these things. This is why we take times on Sunday and we open up this book so we can remember what's important. And so in a moment, we want to invite you to go to one of the tables on either side of the auditorium. You can go as an individual. You can go as a family. The invitation is open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ because the Bible says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, the cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We experience intimacy with Jesus through communion. We remember what he has done for us. We interact with him as we remember. But the Bible also says that a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And so the invitation is to come to the table, but first to do business with God, to talk through the things that you've heard. There's no rush to get to the table. There's plenty of time. Ask God, God, help me to expect the unexpected. What are you doing right now that I still need to respond to? Commit to know and to embrace his promises. What does that look like for you? And by doing these things, you'll experience him intimately. I'm going to pray, and then you're welcome to go to the table as God would lead you. And so, Father, we're just thankful for this experience that uh, you gave Moses, for the call that you've placed into his life. And for the reality that those words, I will be with you, apply to us here today. And so as we go to the table, help us to remember what you've done, not in a large sense, but for us. What have you done for me, which is you have given yourself, you have called us by name, you have walked with us through the fire. And some of us just desperately need to be reminded of how significant and important that is in our lives. And God, forgive us for the way that we let things crowd you out and for how often the urgent crowds out the important. And so as we go to the table now, God, meet with us in a real and intimate way. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.